The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I am Bill Donahue. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night. It's the 13th day of November, 2022. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is with us, as always, right across the way. Happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you could be with us. Got a great show lined up for you tonight, as always. First, we'll speak with the former Ranger Devil, uh, Los Angeles King, a great scorer, prolific scorer throughout his 17-year NHL career. Bernie Nichols will join us. And in the second half, we welcome in just a great hitter and hopefully a future Hall of Famer. Scoop will join us, the great Al Oliver. So sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy this edition of Sports Talk New York here on GBB. As always, we got a great show, as I said, with some great people, good sports talk, and good memories up ahead tonight. Social media. We do have a presence out there. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also follow me on Twitter at B Donahue. D-O-N-O-H-U-E-W-G-B-B. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're all going to be out there on the website the following day. You can listen to them whenever you want. What's better than that? Can't beat it. Well, our first guest, he played 17 years in the National Hockey League, 1,127 games for the L.A. Kings, of course, the Rangers, the Oilers, the Devils, the Blackhawks, and the San Jose Sharks. 1,209 points. He's one of only eight players in NHL history to score 70 goals in one season and one of five players to score 150 points. He has a new book out. It's called From Floodlights to Bite Lights, and it's from our good friends at Triumph Books in Chicago. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show tonight Bernie Nichols. Bernie, good evening. Bill, how are you doing tonight? We're doing good here, Bernie. How's everything by you? Everything's good. It's starting to snow a little bit up here. Oh, I'm no. <laughs> uh, so winter's coming quick, but I'm not sure I'm liking that. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's time. It's time. Now, of course, you grew up up in Ontario, Bernie. Who, who were your teams and your heroes as a kid? Well, my dad was always my hero. Um, growing up in a small town like I did, all we really got was the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday night, Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never a Leafs fan. I was a huge Brian uh, Trotche fan in the 80s there before I came home. Uh, so he was probably the person that I liked the most and, you know, an Islander uh, player. So I'm not sure how they close with the, the fans here. I know, I know New York, they, they'll all love Brian Trotche, though. Oh, yeah. They, those guys played... Uh, incidentally, uh, Bernie, just a couple of miles up the road from where I sit right now at the Nassau Coliseum. And, uh, he's got a new book out too, by the way, Trotz. And, uh, he's been plugging that. I've been trying to get him on the show, but he's busy as heck. But, uh, yeah, Trotz, uh, got a new book out as well. Now, uh, 
32 points, 22 games in 1982. Uh, the Kings go to the playoffs, upset the Edmonton Oilers, go to the second round. Now, you scored hat tricks in three straight games. Well, uh, I guess if you're going to make a betting, uh, you might as well make it early. And, yeah. and I was fortunate enough to do that. You know, um, obviously getting called up, uh, playing in the NHL was obviously a, everybody's thrill. Uh, I was no different. And, uh, you know, I think when you get your chance, you, you got to take advantage of it. And when I was able to do that, three hot trips and three straight home games, uh, I think I made my mark quick. And, uh, obviously that helped me, uh, on, on my career. You sure did, Bernie. Now, you played behind Marcel Dion, uh, with the Kings. Did he help you in any way? Did you, were you able to get anything from Marcel? Well, I think like all great players, right? You just watch them. You mm-hmm. watch how they they work every day. Um, you watch how they perform. Being an offensive player, uh, that's who I would watch. You know, Marcel scored over 700 goals. In his right. Uh, obviously, God God gifted talent. So to be able to watch him perform every day uh, could only help me, and it did. And uh, they brought Gretzky over from Edmonton, of course. Tell us about playing with the great one. I tell people every day. And I think we lost Bernie Nichols, folks. You there, Bernie? There you go. Yeah, All right, there we go. We got you back. Yeah, um, I tell people, and I, I mean this, you know, playing with Gretz, it was like uh, waking up every morning uh, Christmas Day as a kid, right? Like it was, <laughs> yeah. He was so much fun to play with. Uh, obviously, he turned L.A. into a hockey town. You got all the celebrities wanting to come out. It was a, the forum was the place to go every night instead of the Lakers or, or the Dodgers. So it was just a lot of fun. Well, he brought to L.A. and he brought to the Kings and me. Uh, it was it was a dream come true. What kind of celebrities were we talking about at the forum for the for the Kings game, uh, Bernie? Give us a give we us a everybody. couple of names. Well, we had Tom Hanks, we had Goldie Hawn, Kirk Russell, nice. Sylvester Stallone, Muhammad Ali was there. Um, oh, geez, uh, the, uh, um, the Rock was there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Michael, uh, Michael J. Fox, you know, back in the day. Yeah. It was awesome to have him there, right? So, now, do, do you guys, uh, how, how did you know that? You guys talk about there. that? You, you talk about that on the bench, Bernie? Do you guys say, hey, uh, Sylvester Stallone's sitting up here, or, or uh, Tom Hanks? Well, <laughs> you know what was, yeah. Well, you know who was there a lot? Uh, God bless him, was John um, and that's a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he'd be around a lot. And there's, you know, you can't do a good guy. So he was around. Nice. Okay. He's speaking with Bernie Nichols tonight on the program now. The, uh, they kind of shocked the hockey world, the Kings, by sending you to the Rangers. And they got back Thomas Sandstrom and Tony Granato. Uh, how did you feel about leaving L.A. and coming to uh, the Big Apple, Bernie? Well, 
obviously you're devastated to get traded, right? Like, yeah. I said to people, I, I got to play with Gretz for a year and a half. I, I could not imagine what it'd be like uh, to play with Wayne for four, five, ten years, right? Mm -hmm. But um, but you get traded, and, and so be it. But for me, I, I got to go to arguably the biggest hockey city, you know, in the states. Original six team, right? Uh, Madison Square Gardens, the New York Rangers. So that was. You know, you couldn't pick a better place to go. That was a lot of fun to go to New York, a lot of fun to play in Madison Square Garden. Now, Bruce McNall, he, he came up with a comment that said something was missing and the Kings were soft and needed some grit. What, what did you think about that, Bernie? I think it was uh, we never had anybody to play with, right? Okay. Uh, I played with Dave Taylor and Charlie Simmer, and, and you got arguably the greatest player in the game, and... You got no one for him to play with. So uh, being traded was devastating, uh, but they traded me for Tony Granado and Tom, uh, Thomas Sandstrom, two great hockey players. Right. And uh, obviously I'm sure they were thrilled to go play with Wayne. Now you spent two seasons here at the Garden. Great success. Is there a moment that sticks out in your mind above the rest? Well, just uh, uh, the loyalty that... The, the fans had. I honestly remember, and and I didn't do it on purpose. I was I was late getting out my first time there, and I can remember walking out there. The fans gave me a great uh, uh, welcome. You know, uh, it was just really special. And you know, New York fans are just they're, they're great hockey fans. They they know their game. They love their team, and uh, to be a part of that was really special. How about uh, a rivalry? Did, did you have a big rivalry with the the Devils and the Islanders, of course? What did you think of that? I mean, the Islander-Ranger uh, rivalry, Bernie, is, is really something to witness, whether, you, whether you're at the uh, the Coliseum or the new UBS Arena or uh, definitely at the Garden. The, when those two teams go head-to-head, -head, it's something special. Crazy, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was fortunate to play in uh, the Battle of Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary. Right. Uh, but New York, New York had the Islanders, which was crazy, and still is to this day. Uh, the Flyers, um, the Devils. So New York just doesn't have one rivalry. I, I still think the Islanders is still the biggest for them. But uh, the Devils is huge. The Flyers is huge. But that's what hockey's all about. Um, to get into a city like that that has a big rival uh, opponent. It's great. It really is, Bernie. You're exactly right. Now, you had success out in L.A. before you came here. How do the two cities really compare hockey-wise? I mean, you, you, you mentioned you got crowds out at the L.A. Forum. You had the celebrities coming in. But then you come to the mecca of sports, Madison Square Garden. How do the two compare? Well, if you compare my first few years there before Gretz came, uh, you know, we probably had our 10,000 loyal season seat holders, um, not really knowing what's going on in, in if we were playing that day or not. Uh, when Gretz came, and, and we probably had one or two reporters that would come to the game, right? Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. Wow. Gretz came, it kind of turned it around, and it made it like when you go to New York, there's probably – seven or eight reporters at every game, uh, places sold out every night. 
fans are crazy, and I mean that in a good way, mm-hmm. you know, just loyal, crazy fans, what you just love. Uh, you got some reporters that are going to be controversial, try to stir the pot a little bit. You got your other one. So, uh, New York original six team, like I say, you couldn't go to a better place as a, a player. Now, uh, they packaged you in a deal, sent you, uh, off to the Oilers after two years. And of course, they got back the linchpin to, uh, their, their Stanley Cup championship. Uh, Mark Messier. Now, d- d- do you feel if you stayed there, you would have uh, had a, had a chance with the Cup, Bernie? H- how did you feel about leaving the Rangers and going up to Edmonton? Um, I was, well, uh, what I was probably most devastating about is uh, who I get traded for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always said Mark Messier has been as a centerman, right? I, I played in L.A. Mark was in Edmonton. I got to go head-to-head with him all the time. Uh, he was by far my fiercest competitor. I have the utmost respect for Mark, just amazing, amazing leader. I would have just loved uh, had the opportunity to play for Mark, uh, play with Mark. Uh, but I said this different times. As a Canadian boy, you have to play in Canada somewhere. And for me, it was Edmonton. And I, I just absolutely love my time in Edmonton. Uh, great hockey fans. Anywhere in Canada you go, you're going to have great fans. But it was a great organization. Uh, they, they knew how to win. Uh, we went to the semifinals that year, uh, beat the LA Kings our first round. They had Gretzky, Curry, uh, I think, uh, Marty McSorley was there, Mike Krishnan. They had half the old Oiler team, mm-hmm. but, uh, we beat them first round. So that was kind of rewarding for me. And I read you wanted to come back to the East Coast. I believe you had family here, and uh, they accommodated you by sending you to the Devils, and you really adapted your play. You changed your game, it seems to me, uh, to fit Jacques Lemaire's style of coaching. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, coming from the West Coast, if you remember, back in the old Smite division, we, we Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, our games would be uh, 7-5, 8-6. You know, you come to the Patrick division at the time, and it's 3-2 hockey, close checking. Right. And it was no different when, when Jacques Lemaire got there, right? Like, Jacques was the Montreal Canadiens, great defensive uh, system. But Jacques would allow us to, to use our offensive skills. He never took that away. Uh, but he just taught us great defense, too. So he made me a, a, a more rounded player. We're speaking with Bernie Nichols tonight on Sports Talk New York. Yeah, a great coach, just a, a great coach, Jacques Lemaire. Now, that, that series, the classic series against the Rangers, the seven-game series, uh, the games were tight. Uh, of course, the proximity, the rivalry between the uh, two teams and the fans, uh, added to the intensity. Tell us a little bit about your feelings about that series, Bernie. said this to people, uh, even though uh, we loved that series, it was, in my NHL career, it was the best series I was ever involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, it went seven games, three games into overtime, the final game into double overtime, uh, standing both goaltenders, uh, and, and Marty Brodeur, 
City. You got Scotty and Scotty Niedemeyer. It was just, it was unbelievable. Uh, so it was a great series. We, we still the better team and we should have won game six, but you know, we didn't and we could have won game six, but we didn't do that either. So right. It was an unbelievable series. Uh, you know, in, in Madison Square Gardens, game seven, double overtime, I don't think you can put it in a better place. And, uh, we just needed uh, one more goal that night. We didn't get it. It, would have, it definitely will go down in history, Bernie. That's for sure. You're exactly right. Now, you finish your career in San Jose with the Sharks. I believe you were about 36 years old, a young franchise. You take on more of uh, sort of an elder statesman role. Uh, did you relish that? And how did you enjoy playing with the younger players on, on the uh, young franchise, the San Jose Sharks? Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I still love to this day, you know, helping kids out, whether it's golf, hockey, anything to try to teach, right? I always feel that professional athletes, uh, we were given a gift, uh, and I, I think you still, you, you got to give back. And, uh, when I get, when I signed with the Sharks, uh, I was their first line centerman. Uh, they had drafted Patty Marlowe. They had Jeff Freeze in there, Marco Stern, some good young kids. And uh, for me to, to try to help those guys along and, and to watch them progress and uh, just, you know, Patrick Marlowe had an unbelievable career. Uh, so just to, to try to be a part of that in any way, shape, or form to help them out uh, is very rewarding for me. Now, the new book, of course, I mentioned it's from Triumph. Bill Ames uh, set us up tonight, uh, our friend out in Chicago, From Floodlights to Bright Lights. Tell us about the title and what that means, uh, Bernie. Well, for anybody who knows where I'm from, uh, I grew up in a, a little town way north of Toronto, uh, population of about 75 people. Uh, my dad had a, a little ice rink. For us kids when we were young and we had floodlights out there at the little school um like 500 yards from my house they had a little ice rink out back same thing floodlights and i just thought it was so fitting most most people you know when they do a book they have the, the picture of themselves their face or something and for me it was so fitting it, it shows me out in a, a pond mm -hmm. you know under the floodlights i went from population of 75 people playing in the outdoors on frozen ranks and Ponds um, with floodlights to the bright lights of uh, Los Angeles, 10 million people in Hollywood, you know. So right. I just thought it was a very fitting uh, title for the book. It, you're exactly right, and I did enjoy that cover. I enjoy the photos of you out, out on the frozen pond uh, as a kid, as a youngster playing uh, hockey out there and then of course you mentioned the bright lights of la that uh really brought you uh to a new home there and the forward of the book folks is of course by wayne gretzky and he does a wonderful job uh with the forward of bernie's book uh you, you give a lot of candid stories and personal insights from the career bernie give us uh an example of one of your, one of your favorite stories uh from the book. 
Well, uh, I'll tell you my favorite story. But if you can see the forward, obviously, for me, you couldn't have a, a better person right the forward, right? Than oh, for sure. Wayne Gretzky. Right. Uh, and as you can see, I got his name as big as I can on there and his picture on my book. So, uh, you know, I was trying to, you know, people see Gretzky, they're, they're going to want to buy it. Um, so, yeah. My, my favorite probably story in there, and it, it happens to be with New York and the great Tom Hanks. Um, it's a Friday afternoon or something, and I get a phone call from um, and you know the Rangers. We never played, but uh, I said, "Well, nothing." He says, "Well, I want you to come to Saturday Night Live with me." And you know, <laughs> that's friggin' Tom Hanks. Yeah. You know, I go. You know, I say I say to people, can I think about it? I'll get back to you. You know, <laughs> he said, hell yeah, I'm coming. So he told me to bring my jersey, and I'm going, okay, no idea why. So here I am, I'm sitting with his wife Rita, uh, watching the show, and sure enough, when when Tom comes out at the end of the show, he's got my jersey on. He turns, points to Nichols, waves, and he's got my New York Rangers jersey on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. The coolest thing ever, right? Here's this kid from, you know, 75 people in, in West Guilford, where I'm from, and now I'm in uh, New York at Saturday Night Live with Tom Hanks wearing my jersey. So it couldn't get any better than that. We go out later. Aerosmith is there. We're up to dinner partying with Aerosmith and Tom Hanks. So uh, that's pretty cool for a kid from a small town. Oh, that, that's a great story, Bernie. Yeah. And, uh, for folks that want to see that, you can Google that and there, there, there you'll find the picture of Tom Hanks with his back to the camera with a Bernie Nichols Ranger jersey on. Uh, of course, the, uh, the great blue jersey of the New York Rangers. And, uh, you will see that if you Google it. And, uh, what, what a great episode of Saturday Night Live that was. Of course, the musical guest, as Bernie mentions, Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, and Joe Perry, and and the gang, and uh, it must have been a great experience. Now, now you, you mentioned earlier, Bernie, uh, that you enjoy working with kids. Uh, how did you know you wanted to coach and uh, get into that after retirement? Well, uh, like I said, I, I just want to help, right? And, yeah. Um, Funny thing is, I'm watching. I'm watching the. I played with them for ten years, and I, their power play was just awful. I thought they had a good team. They needed help. I, I called out to the coach and or to the general manager, Dean Lombardi, and I said, "Look, I just want to help. Can I come out and help your power play?" Right? And mm-hmm. uh, Terry Murray was the coach at the time, and he talked to Terry and he thought, "Well, you should be full time or whatever," and it worked out. So. Um, they fired Terry at Christmas time. Daryl Sutter took over. I worked with Daryl. I played for Daryl in Chicago. I played for Daryl in San Jose. And then when I retired at San Jose, I, I coached with him a little bit for the end of that one year. So I asked him, I said, look, I'd like to help you with your power play. And he said, sure, come on up. Right? So I, I uh, January 3rd, they had a homestand there for nine games, something. It went well. It, uh, the team went on the road. He said, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm just there, just trying to help. And he says, well, I've never been on the road team. I want you So we went. We went. We won in Calgary, won in Edmonton, and tied Vancouver. So I said, what do you want me to do now? He says, I want you to stay. 
So I said, great. Nice. So I uh, stayed the rest of the year, coached with them, uh, ended up winning the spot. It was just the, the perfect uh, perfect end to a, you know, coaching career. That's what I did that one year, but it was so much fun. I worked with the kids. I hung with the kids all the time and uh, ended up pretty good. And you got your ring, Bernie. Got my ring. Uh, yeah. So that's tough for a day. Not bad. So pretty cool. Now, how close do you follow the game these days, uh, your post-playing days? Uh, do, do you follow uh, anybody closely these days, Bernie? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I still love the game. I still love watching the game. I still do. Uh, I, I do Mary Lemieux's Fantasy Camp. I, I do Fantasy Camps for the Kings. Still love to skate, love to play. Uh, but I, I love watching the game. I think the game's awesome. Uh, I love watching great players do great things. Uh, being Canadian, always a big Sidney Crosby fan. Uh, but, you know, what a great player, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, like, I love seeing these new kids come up and play. Fox from New York, uh, a kid from Colorado, uh, the defenseman there. Uh, you know, it's just Nathan McKinnon. It's just, and, you know, um, Connor McDavid, like, you watch these kids and you just, it's so, it's so great to see these great athletes playing the game that you just love to play and, uh, the game's in a great place right now. Three things that I read you're passionate about, Bernie Nichols, uh, hunting, golf, and of course your family. Give us a little insight into what's going on with your hunting career, uh, how's your golf game, and how's the family doing? Well, um, you know, I think when when athletes retire, I think you see a lot of them. That you need to be passionate about something, and you need to stay busy, right? And right. For me, I've always been passionate about hunting. It's something I grew up doing with my dad. Uh, and so since fall, uh, September 1st to probably Christmas time, I'm in the bush hunting, right? Uh, the thing about that is a lot of people just don't understand it because a lot of people think hunting is just killing, right? And it's not, it's time spent with your family. I always take my dad when I go hunting or, uh, at our camp. My mom would cook and it's just, uh, it's just time spent in the bush and it's just quiet time and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I, I golf every day in the summertime. I, I just love to golf. Uh, and then my, my family, my, my daughter has a, a, a boy. He just turned two. It's so, um, and they're in Nashville. My boy's in, uh, he's still in LA doing movie stuff, but Nashville quite a bit. See the grandson and there's nothing better than kids and family and, uh, no one loves family more than me and, uh, no one wants to get to Nashville more than me and my grandkids. Outstanding. Great job, Bernie. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show tonight. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday evening to spend it with us back here on Long Island. The book again, folks, it is called From Floodlights to Bright Lights. It's Bernie Nichols. It's Triumph Books. It's a wonderful read. Check that out. And we thank you once again, Bernie. I look forward to talking to you again. It was awesome. You take care. That's Bernie Nichols, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we're welcoming a great member of the famous Pittsburgh Pirates Lumber Company, Al Oliver. Stick around, folks.
listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB. I hope everyone is having a wonderful weekend. We uh, will be stoking the flames of the hot stove, of course, in baseball. The Mets signed Edwin Diaz, the reliever, to a long-term contract. Jacob deGrom actually telling the teams uh, that he's interested in that he's interested in them. I mean, right, Brian? I mean, come on. Tell the guy goodbye already. And he's going to be 35 years old. I wouldn't give him the money. Uh, he's telling the teams he's interested in them, and they ain't the Mets. So uh, I, I would move on from that. And uh, I'm, I'm still stinging from the Mets play against the Cubs and the Nats this season. When it was on the line, even Scherzer, DeGrom, they kind of spit the bit. But we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Our next guest, as I said in the open, a lifetime 303 hitter with 2,743 hits. He was a seven-time All-Star, National League batting champ in 1982, and, of course, a world champion with the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1971. With the Pirates, he was a member of the Fearsome Lumber Company. It's a pleasure to welcome back to the show tonight the great Al Oliver. Al, good evening. Hey, good evening. I said it is good evening for me. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get you off to bed in a couple of minutes, Al. Don't worry. <laughs> me too. I know it's yep. uh, it's tough. Now, your rookie season. I, I go ahead. What, what was that, Al? I never was a night person. No. Uh, even when I, even when I played ball, you know, um, when we had night games, you know, after a ball game, we would come back to the hotel on the road. I'd go straight to my room, on the room service, and go to bed. That's good. But Keep you off the streets, my dad Al. told me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's what my dad told me when I was in the fourth grade. Yeah. He said, son, there's two things you need to do is get your rest and stay out of the streets. Right. As Casey Stengel, Casey Stengel always said, Al, nothing good happens after 12 midnight. So, <laughs> and, and that, those are words, had, words to live by. I'll go along with that. Now, I'll go along with that. Your, your rookie season, Al, you finished second in the National League Rookie of the Year voting. And I, I looked up to see who won it and I couldn't believe it was <laughs> Ted Sizemore. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. it. It's a it's a little bit of a travesty there. Yeah. Well, you know, those things have happened to me um, pretty much throughout my life. Um, you know, things like that have happened, and, and people ask me how that happened, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I just tell them that you know, of course, I didn't vote, um, so I had nothing to do with it, but just go out there and do my job. 
in, in which I did, um, because there were a couple other guys that had good years as well, and that was my hometown buddy, Larry Heisel, and that mm-hmm. was Coco the Boy. Um, they also had good, good years. But I think what happened, uh, the Dodgers, they have a um, a thing as far as rookie of the year. Oh, yeah. They've been known to. Yeah, so that might have had a lot to do with it. But I did the best that I could. And, you know, Ted was a good ball player, so I can't knock him because it wasn't his fault. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Good way to look at it, Al. Now, I want to talk about September 1st, 1971, the first, uh, what's believed to be the first all-black lineup in the history of the National League. Uh, we had you at first, Rennie Stennett at second, uh, Gene Kleins in, in uh, center field, of course, the great Roberto Clemente in right, Stargell in left, Manny Sanguian behind the plate, Dave Cash at third, and Jackie Hernandez catching, and of course the starting pitcher was the great Doc Ellis. Now, were you guys aware that you were making history that night? No, we weren't. And, uh, you know, we actually, we were the uh, first um, team to field an all-minority team Mm -hmm. in baseball, period. And um, we were not aware of it at all. Uh, and the reason why, because, you know, Pirates, the ones that followed the Pirates back in the day, were always known to have a lot of Latin players and, and, um, people of color, you know, black players. So it was really no big thing because if Doc Ellis pitched, we used to have six that started anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we just added two or three more to that lineup that day. And I was not aware of it until maybe the second or third inning um, when it dawned on me that we did have an all-minority team, which I thought was great. Uh, it pretty much typified uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates at that time because of the fact that the Pirates uh, signed a lot of Latin players. And like Joe Brown, who was our general manager, he said it best one time. He said, one thing about me. I find players, I don't care what church they go to. Right. I find talent. And that was the reason why we were loaded with a lot of um, Latin and black players all through the minor leagues. It was unbelievable. I always remember that, Al. I, I, I Even looking at my baseball cards when I was a kid. And the, the Pirates were really the first organization to go to, go to Latin America, sign a lot of these guys, uh, from down there and, uh, really helped integrate the National League, uh, even more than it was. And, uh, it, it really worked out for them because, uh, you guys had a hell of a ball club back there in 71. Oh, yeah. We had a great ball club. And, you know, I think back and I wonder if Branch Rickey had a lot to do with that because as most of us know that he was the one that was responsible. Was Jackie Robinson right. um, coming to the major leagues, and a lot of people don't realize that he spent some time with the Pittsburgh Pirates, mm-hmm. and I just wonder if any of that rubbed off 
Good point. Definitely good yeah. point, Al. Yeah, Branch Rickey also worked with the Pirates, and uh, you kids and, and you younger folks may not realize that. But D- Danny Murtaugh, who made out the lineup card that, that night, uh, basically said he just put the uh, the lineup on the field that, that gave the Pirates the best chance to win. And uh, that's exactly I, what they did. <laughs> I, yeah. I I believe that there's, there's not a truth to it. I really don't believe that he sat down and, and said, well, okay, I'm going to start all minorities tonight. Yeah. I think that he just um, he, he knew that whatever team he put on the field had a chance to win. And so happened that um, that particular night uh, they were all minorities. But the thing that was kind of um, ironic was Woody Cromley was pitching for Philadelphia against us that night. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, in 71, I didn't play all the games against left-handers. And usually Bob Robertson played first base. And I normally I would play center field. Or if I didn't play center field, Gene Kleins would play center field. But that night, Bob Robertson did not play against a left-hander. And to this day, you know, Bob doesn't know why that happened. But as it turned out, I ended up in first base that night. Didn't you always say that Woody Fryman gave you a lot of trouble too, Al? He was was tough. Yeah. You you know, um, I did okay against him. But what made Woody so tough was he threw a heavy ball. You know, there were some pitchers who threw heavy balls, and plus he loved to pitch me inside on my hand. Mm. And I had to be quick. But he was one of those pitchers that, as far as I was concerned, if he didn't pitch that night, it was all well and good for me. Yeah. (laughs) I I hear you. Now, early on, Al, it seems to me that you showed a propensity towards getting hit by pitches. Did you try to try to uh, step in the way of the ball, or is that is that just uh, something that fell upon you? I'm tough, but I'm not that tough. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, there, there's no way in the world that I want to get hit on purpose. I okay. think what it was, and I, I've talked to a lot of pitchers uh, later on in my career. They always said that I dove into the ball, um, unlike you see a lot of players today that. To that bailed out, but I always went into the ball, and that's why I was able to use all fields. And so, what they tried to do was to come inside and get me off the plate. And as a result of that, there were there were times when they hit me. I know there might have been maybe ten times I can remember possibly that I felt that there were some pitchers who tried to hit me on purpose, but you know that was just a waste of time. Right. Good thought, good thought. We're speaking with Al Oliver tonight, uh, the great Al Oliver on Sports Talk New York. Let's talk about the Lumber Company. How did that name come about, Al? Well, I think it came about originally because everyone in our lineup could hit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's how it started. I don't know who started it. Um, I wish I knew. I need to ask someone like, like a Steve Blass, uh, so someone who's still around or, or, or Dave Cash. Okay. You know, but 
it, it fitted our ball club because all down through our lineup, everyone could hit. The only one that was known for their hitting at that time was um, Jackie Hernandez. Mm-hmm. But even when Jackie Hernandez came over to us, he became a lot better hitter. But the main reason was that we had everyone in our lineup were really excellent hitters. We didn't strike out a lot. Good. Exactly. Uh, the lumber company folks. Uh, Stargell, Clemente, Sanguian, guys like that. Tell us about playing with the great Roberto Clemente, Al. It was easy. First of all, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be on the same team with him. Um, he was a player that was basically a very private guy. Um, he didn't say a whole lot, but he played the game with a lot of fire. And, um, he was the type of guy that in the locker room, you know, we, we had some characters on that team. If you look at our roster. Uh, but Roberto was one of those guys that sat in his locker, sat back, and just laughed, and and and, and just laughed at everybody else. Um, as, as a player, we all know that he could do it all. Um, a very confident man, a very positive man, a man who cared about people. Um, unfortunately, you know, he really didn't get his true recognition until the plane went down. Because if you follow his career, his first four or five years, um, the news media was not kind to him. And that was sad. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, his abilities overrode, you know, what they said about him early. Some said he was cocky. Well, I still don't know what the word cocky means. But he was just a confident man. And at that time, when he came up, being a man of color, most people in society, and especially the news media, had not been around anyone like him. And so that that's why they didn't quite understand him, because of his confidence and his self-assuring. Uh, he was our leader. He really didn't have much to uh, tell us because most of us, you know, uh, develop our leadership at home. And so when we came to the major league, it seemed like most of us came up within a year or two of each other. And we just blended so well, mm-hmm. you know, with Roberto. Um, and so he really didn't have to tell us much of anything. He was the type of guy, look, I'm going to show you how to play. And just follow me. And that's basically what we did. The great Roberto Clemente, folks. And uh, you got sent from the Pirates, Al, over to the Texas Rangers. It was a blockbuster trade. A lot of teams involved. But the change of leagues didn't really seem to affect you at all. You picked right up, picked the bat up with the Texas Rangers, and just started hitting again. Yes. um, That was God's gift to me. Hitting a baseball never was a problem, you know, for me, uh, going way back in Little League, you know, um, it was just something that God gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't matter where I was, 
who was pitching, I was going to hit the ball. And we were just talking about that uh, not too long ago. I just came up with a two-week um, tour of Montreal and, and North Carolina, and it was just ironic. A couple people asked me um, who was the toughest pitcher, and that's a tough question for me to answer because I never thought of any pitcher that I couldn't hit. and But I developed that as a young kid, which meant that that was something that God gave me. And and hitting was something that I never concerned myself with. I didn't take a lot of batting practice because it was something that I didn't need. I used batting practice mainly as to get loose. So I feel very gifted and blessed to have been just, just a natural hitter, someone that could just hit the baseball. Nice. We're speaking with Al Oliver tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, from Texas, you go to the Montreal Expos where you do win the batting title, Al. But uh, originally, you were supposed to go to the New York Yankees. Now, uh, how did you feel about uh, going to the Yankees? How did you feel about not going to the Yankees? Tell us about that. I was put on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a move that was being made in a matter of less than 24 hours. Um, the Yankees had a big interest in getting me. Don Brent always liked me. Yeah. And so what happened was Oscar Gamble was the one that was supposed to be going to Texas. And ironically, Oscar and I had the same agent. And so Oscar said, it's too hot in Texas. He <laughs> he didn't want to go to Texas. And so that killed that deal as far as me going to, to the Yankees. And then all of a sudden, Montreal comes into play. And so that's what happened. That That's how I ended up going to Montreal was because the uh, Yankee deal fell apart. And... um I was just a baseball player, uh, you know, a ball player. It really didn't matter, although I would prefer to have been with a team that had a chance of winning. And I was very fortunate pretty much throughout my career to be able to play with teams that had a chance to win, even if they didn't win. So Montreal was a great place for me. And then, of course, going to the Yankees, uh, as it turned out, would have been a lot better. Right. As far as publicity. I always wondered. I, in fact, doing my homework for tonight, Al, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder why Al never played for the Yankees, because I know the way George is. I'll tell you, though, the the guys that I speak with, Al, uh, that I've had on the program that have played in the Steinbrenner era have nothing but good things to say about George. And, you know, I've always had good conversations with the players who played for George. Yeah. One thing about George Steinbrenner that I did notice from afar, he always brought his players back for the old-timer games. Even if they were in a wheelchair, he would bring these guys back so the fans would have an opportunity to see some of the great players, some of the good players who played for the Yankees, and most teams don't do that. 
they pick certain players to bring back. But George Steinbrenner would bring as many players back as possible because he liked his players, and he did treat his players well. Yeah, he did. And uh, nobody did Old Timers Day like the Yankees did. I remember when I was a kid, nobody. Al, they'd, they'd bring back DiMaggio, Mandel, Ford, Berra, all these guys, and then they'd have Miss, Mrs. Babe Ruth, Mrs. Lou Gehrig in the stands, and uh, Bill Dickey would come out, and uh, j- just all all these great New York Yankees, and uh, what a job they did. But uh, that's a topic for another night. Now, you were you retired, Al, and it's the same reason, uh, really, Andre Dawson talks about. It's collusion. Tell the folks about collusion. Well, that's a very simple thing. It, it's when they, they don't want you anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, you know, with me, I was still going strong. I still could run. I still could hit. I I was still an everyday player, still being able to hit 300. Except my last two years, uh, all of a sudden they started platooning me. You know, some people thought I was getting old, but that that was far from the truth. And so it was guys like Dawson, uh, guys that in his age group, they tried to hold back on his salary. They didn't want to pay players of his statue a lot of money. And so guys like myself, who was 37, 38 years old, you know, it was easy for them to say, well, we don't need you. And I could have easily played four or five more years as a designated hitter, which would would have been fine with me. But uh, in my case, it it was an excuse that they used, um, just like they did Rock Carew. He was that group. And so, next thing I know, um, no team wanted me. And, um, you know, it, I wish I could say that I retired, but I didn't. They just sent me home. Yeah. And I have always said this. I wish they would have allowed me to let my ability dictate when I was done. But I never got that opportunity. No, and that's a shame. And Andre Dawson, the Hawk, has been a proponent of yours for the Hall of Fame. If you did play those five more years, Al, the chances are you would have got your 3,000 hits and would have made it easier uh, for you to get through those doors up in Cooperstown. But uh, the Hall of Fame committee, I believe uh, your era comes around again in 2024. I guess. What are are your thoughts about the Hall of Fame and eventually going in, Al? Oh, as we speak right now? Yes. It's not a concern. Okay. It's not a concern. And and the reason why it's not a concern is because I'm not voting. Mm -hmm. And um, if I had to say so, you know, I would, but... There's no need to be saying anything about it because it's not up to me. Although I know I got a lot of players that are in the hall, um, that believe that I belong there. But in our family, the Oliver family, we don't need to talk about the Hall of Fame. My daughter says all the time, Dad, don't even worry about it. 
you know, I'm tired of hearing about it, which I don't blame her. Um, you going anyway. <laughs> that, that's my daughter's um, yeah. attitude. And so she knows that I don't talk about it because things that I cannot do anything about, I leave it alone. Good way to be, Al. Yeah, you have no control over it. Why worry about it? That's, uh, that's yeah. a, a great way to, to be. talk about Mm-hmm. But why talk about it mm-hmm. when you can't do anything about it? I, but, I do um, believe... You know, yeah. Go ahead, Al. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I do believe that the, the system itself is broken and, and needs to be repaired. Uh, because even even now they have the steroid boys coming up for election, and uh, they leave guys like Pete Rose, who recently sent a letter to uh, Commissioner Manfred apologizing once again for what he did, and uh, they have the steroid guys coming up for election. It's it's just their way of uh, trying to get them in. Uh, the the writers had their say, and didn't put them in. There's a reason they didn't put them in. Um, but it, it certainly leaves space, uh, for a guy like you who deserves to be in to get in there. I think the thing that, that's very interesting that they don't know who took what. Yeah. You know, as far as drugs are concerned or whatever you want to call them, they, you know, there's some that they know that did take, um, um, those type of uh, drugs to enhance their performance. Um, that's come out. Right. But but a couple of players have not been convicted. And like Barry Bonds is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Clemens is another. Exactly. Um, as far as I'm concerned, those guys belong in the hall. And by chance, I did read Pete's letters just today. I was looking at... Um, uh, my, my Facebook page. Right. And, and I read that. What did you um, think? I'll say this. If I was in the Hall of Fame, I would vote for him. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's time. I think he's paid his dues. Uh, it's time to look at Joe Jackson. Uh, a couple of guys that, that that they're keeping out, but uh, that's a discussion for another night. Uh, Al, I don't want to keep you any longer than we have. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us up here in New York. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime. You take care, man. You too, Al. That's the great Al Oliver, ladies and gentlemen. That'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Bernie Nichols and Al Oliver. My engineer, Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. See you next week, November 20th, with Matthew Barnaby and special guest Don Kessinger. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.